I'm just an individual, living a miracle, standing divisible, connected to God and my physical. Essence of my spiritual presence is visible, totally leaving you unaware of my mental subliminal. Used to be a criminal, living so minimal, but things have changed in my life is going through different intervals. Finding that balance is significantly difficult. Timing is everything, so my timing is critical. Rhyming is literal, the unforgettable. It's why I stand before you impeccably so presentable. I give respect to you, know that I am respectable. I've always wanted acceptance. Is that acceptable? I am the rival expected to be exceptional And I'm a grown man, handle business like a professional I am incredible, Leo conventional And you stopping me from chasing my dreams is unprofessional Welcome to NC Raw My name is Steve Steen host of Recovery Always podcast. Tonight, our guest is a good friend of mine, soon-to-be classmate, somebody that I actually met through the show here, through the podcast, Courtney Kimmel. Hey, guys. What's up? My name's Courtney, and I'm a person in long-term recovery, and what that means for me is that I have not had a drink or drug since May 5th, 2016, and I'm honored to be on here. What we'll get to, we'll get into detail a little bit later on in the show, but I do know that you're going to be enrolling in school yes. this upcoming semester. So my first question out of the gate is, what have you been doing to enjoy your last summer break? Um, well, I've been going to the river a little bit and I've been floating on my cupcake raft, which I love so much. The one you blew up all with your mouth all by yourself? all by myself, power lungs. Um, just working out and trying to take day by day. I know once August comes, I'm going to be super busy, so. Last week, I started off the show like talking with Valerie and Hooks about how short my summer break was and how um, classes started last week and kind of that whole debacle of um, thinking that I was taking online classes and like the day before, actually you were there with me at the (laughs) library, uh, finding out that I was taking a seat-based class and uh, twice a week I'm in the classroom for like three hours, a Mm -hmm. three hour long class. But I am happy to report that on my first day In class last Wednesday, I sat down and our first assignment that our instructor, mind you, this is an English class, a research class, Mm -hmm. but our first assignment that our instructor um, tasked us with was to listen to a podcast. That's right up your alley. (laughs) Yeah, bro. I was like, I can do this. And then, uh, you know, so I'm uh, super stoked about that and got to listen to the podcast and have a nice conversation today, my second day of class. So nice. I'm a little dragging. I do have to admit, uh, I was up at like 6 a.m. to get ready for class and um, make it over here on time, get my homework done, all that stuff. So I have to just come clean and let you know that <laughs> your boy is tired. Well, I'm feeling pretty good. So. <laughs> Are, you, <laughs> Are yeah. you hot? I am so hot in here. It's like so warm. Our 
Ooh. Amazing producer, engineer, Courtney Stywalt uh, has informed us that over <laughs> summer break, they uh, tighten up on the electricity bill yeah. in this studio. I'm feeling so it tonight. It's a little toasty. <laughs> Just another reason why we need to get our own studio space. Absolutely. And do our own thing. So before we get into the good stuff, <laughs> we have a little bit of housekeeping to do um, each week. We recognize our viewers and our listeners and celebrate with them their recovery anniversaries and recovery dates. So I do have a couple anniversaries that we would like to share and recognize. Um, The first one is Camille Thrasher, a listener out of Murphy, North Carolina. She is celebrating three years on June 14th, so a couple days away. So kudos to you and tons of love to you for putting in the work and walking that path. And the second anniversary that I have to share, I shared it last week, right? It's Melina Crow, and her anniversary is on June 13th, a couple days away, June 13th, 2017. So she's coming up on one year. And I sent her a message. Like she, she commented on our original post like months ago with her date. And so I, I replied to her comment that, hey, we're going to be recognizing you tonight. And she responded while we were live on the air. She was mm-hmm. like, it's also my husband, Bogey Wilnotty's anniversary, too. They share the same anniversary. Wow. So I was like, I'll totally That's get cool. you guys back this week and give you guys some love. So cool. uh, definitely a beautiful thing to see um, couples in recovery do- doing the work together, yo. So love that. Um, the next on the agenda is community events. If we, if there are any community events taking place in your area, submit them to us, send them to us via Facebook or via our website. Cause we want to share it with all of our viewers and all of our listeners and invite them out, engage with them and talk with them and let them know what's going on in the community. So tomorrow night at the Jackson County library up on the Hill, right on main street in downtown Silva, The library is hosting a drug abuse, addiction, and opioid crisis conversation. They have a panel of uh, people coming to talk about different resources in the community, educate the community on um, recovery, the opioid crisis, kind of everything that's taking place. So that'll be tomorrow at 6 p.m. again at the library in downtown Silva. So we invite all you guys out there um, to check that out and see what they have to offer. So, Courtney. What's up? You ready to do this? Yeah, I'm ready. Are you nervous? Yeah, I'm so nervous. I don't know why. Like, I was, like, so cool and calm today. Um, Prayed about it. And now when I walked in, it became super official. So We met on Saturday? Saturday. Yeah downtown for some coffee to kind of go over how the thing flows and what how it kind of works and stuff right. what did i tell you there i'm not even i don't, don't even, even know. know the pressure's <laughs> on don't look over there the pressure's on yeah i told you that pretend like this conversation is the show right like we're sitting here we're talking pretend like there's a microphone in front of us because that's how the show is going to flow like that's how we're going to do this thing so you ready to get down and dirty yeah let's do it all right so <laughs> 
Um, you're a person in long-term recovery. I am. You live here in Sova. Where are you originally from? How'd you end up here? Okay, I am from Central Florida. I grew up in Titusville. That is near um, where they would do the space shuttles at NASA. Yes, sir. How many launches did you see as um, a kid? Oh, my gosh. I don't even know, but it was always a really big ordeal. Um, I can remember, you know, the family getting up and going and having, like, cookouts. And just basically the whole town came together so we could watch that happen. Um, One of the coolest things that I can remember as a child is loading up an RV with my family and driving over to that area to watch a shuttle launch. It was a night launch. And to see the sky light up at night, it was just like one of the most memorable moments of my childhood for sure. Yeah. I didn't ever really know that it was a big deal when I was young. Um, But after moving up here and like getting to tell people that I used to witness that as a kid, um, I, I realized that it was like super cool. So I guess maybe growing up down there, I didn't really realize that it was something really cool to see. But yeah, so I was born and raised in Titusville until I was about 12. And my dad retired from the fire department. And we had some family up here actually in Cherokee. My grandparents um, had a business and a home over there. And we ended up in Silva. How old were you at that time? Uh, We moved in August. I turned 12 in September. Okay. So I started my sixth grade year up here. And finished it out. I've been here ever ever since. Yeah, ever since. All right. So. So at what point in your life did kind of things start to change and like. As soon as I moved up here, Mm -hmm. it was uh, a big shock for me. I grew up really into a lot of sports, um, a lot of outdoors, a lot of friends. Uh, When I moved here, it was just everything was so different. My world was flipped upside down. So right off the get-go, I struggled. But what was it about it? Like you felt like you didn't fit in? Oh, I didn't you, fit in. Absolutely you not. You felt like you didn't? No, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't. I grew up like really into NASCAR and like I can remember. Just, oh, you fit right in around here. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, man. No, not at that age. So like what can you can you identify like a specific feeling tone or something that might have led up to wanting to use drugs or alcohol? Like, did you like, um, to make friends to No, my first year or two here, um, in Jackson County, it was rough, but I made it through. Um, I joined the varsity cheerleading squad in high school. So I was, um, you know, I would say that I was kind of a, a popular person, mm-hmm. um, freshman, sophomore year. And then I just decided to quit cheerleading. At that point, I was kind of why 15 or 16. I started going through issues and Mm -hmm. I realized that I'd become depressed and I had really bad anxiety. And I'm not really sure what kind of epic event happened to make me realize I I was depressed and had anxiety. Did Um, you I did you know that then or do you realize it now, like reflecting back? And if you did rec- recognize it at that time, did you reach out or notify anybody? I did, yes. So I started seeking help um, through doctors and psychiatrists. Um, at a very early age, around 15, 16, I was put on medication. Mm-hmm. Um, and that lasted me all out until uh, about a year sober. So I've been on medication for a really long time. Yeah. And, but you quit cheerleading. I did. How I, were your grades and like, what was school life? Like, 
I was never an A student. Um, I definitely just. That's going to change next semester. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, I was probably more like a C student and I was totally okay with that. Um, I wasn't trying to like. Are you putting in the effort? No. Okay. I wasn't. I was just trying to skate on by through the rest of my high school years. Were you able to, did you graduate? I did. And somehow I managed to graduate a semester early and I went right into SCC while some of my other classmates were still at the high school. Were you actively using drugs and alcohol at that time? Or? At that time I was, yeah. So I was abusing my medication. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that, I was mixing it with alcohol and marijuana um, and that eventually led me to just dropping out of SCC. By the time I walked across the stage at the high school, um, I was definitely off into my own world. How long did you last at community college? I So I started in January, and by March or April, I had just flunked all my classes and quit going. Okay. What was the next step in your life? Like, were you working? Were you? I was working. Um, for the first part of my addiction, I always managed to hold down a job. Um, wasn't for very long. I, I just hopped around quite a bit. Um, if someone like made me mad or I didn't agree with my boss, like I just walked out. F it. Yeah. And all while how parting your ass off and having fun and doing all that yep. stuff. At what point did you experience like your first, or at what point did like, the wheels kind of come off and you can identify where you might have been losing control or. I would say the summer I graduated high school, um, I ran into some old friends that I went to school with and I was introduced to opiates for the first time. Yeah, I had been on benzos and drinking and all that, um, but I started dabbling around in the opiates uh-huh. and that lasted for a few months. Um, I really just thought it was something that was going to be like a summer thing. Like I could use those drugs in the summertime and then, you know, I would buckle down and change my ways and maybe go back to school in the fall. At that point in your life, had you experienced any interactions with law enforcement or? Not at that point. Okay. No. Um, it was still fun and games Yeah. at that point in my life. Um, so that was summer, mm-hmm. and by winter time, I was I had my first run in with the law. Okay. So. And how did that affect you? And then were there any consequences relating to that? So I spent maybe like two or three nights in jail. Um, my parents just weren't really having it. They made me wait, you know, sitting there and try to really think about what I had done. Um, so I got out and I immediately went to the first thing that I knew, which was um, to avoid those feelings that I was having, um, embarrassment, shamed of myself. And um, court lasted for a long time. It kept getting continued. Uh-huh. So were, were your parents aware of what was going on leading up to this arrest? And if so, like, how did they? They were. Um I don't think they knew the extent of it. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe they did, but I always thought I was like the best liar ever. We all do. Yeah. So (laughs) everything that I used to tell them sounded so great in my mind. And, you know, I thought I had them wrapped around my finger. right through it. Yeah. Um, So at that point, I think so. I think that they probably knew that I was, I was pretty bad off. 
it's a difficult place to be in for both parties, for the parent and the, the individual that's doing it. Um, you know, so many people you talk to, it's like, it's just a phase. They'll grow out yeah. of it. But then, like, the risks are just so high when, um, especially these days, you talk about overdose and you talk right. about just interactions with the law enforcement and things like that, that yeah. it's like, it's a balancing act that you're almost like, and are you the oldest child? I am not. You're I have not? two older sisters. Okay. It's almost, it's like a learning process. You know what I mean? Like it, it's definitely difficult. So you, you're waiting on your court date. Yeah. So that was in December that I got oh, my charges. Year? Um, goodness, 2015. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure 2015. So and you were like a year or two out of high school. Actually, it was 2014. 14. 14. I'm four years out of school. Okay. Um. So you, you dropped out of SEC. I did. And you partied pretty hard for like th- three years. Yeah, until I did. This happened. Right, and so the charges took place in December of 14, and I was still going to court. It was pending or continued all the time. Meanwhile, I'm still... Was that because of, like, your lawyer was fighting it and that, that sort of thing? And just... The court system, it's just, it takes a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it can it can take a very long time. Um, so, in the meantime, I'm still, you know, my, my addiction really just takes off at this point. Um, so, you didn't experience ideation of stopping use or understanding oh no. that, like, hey, this led up to some potentially severe consequences. What were, what were the charges at that time? Um, at that time, I believe it was possession of stolen goods and mm, larceny. Yeah. And those were the two charges at that time. And the potential for facing consequences from that weren't enough to like, Oh no. Think about slowing uh, down. No, I was just getting started. Yeah. If I could just be honest. So, uh-huh. um, yeah. So I just, I got those charges and I got out of jail and, um, you know, we made it through the holidays and all that, but in June, so my, my court is still pending. Um, in June, I get more charges. Okay. So, um, those were family related charges, mm-hmm. but, uh, because I had previous pending charges for the same crime, the state decided to go ahead and pick up charges against mm-hmm. me. Sure. Even though my family didn't want that to happen. Yeah. So what was the outcome in the court case? After a lot more continuance, I was, I had like the best deal. Um, I had a great attorney. I had a family who stood behind me and, you know, I thought I was really going to be able to clean up my act this time. So I took a plea bargain Mm -hmm. and I was going to use my prayer for judgment which was like super unheard of in, in my kind of charges. Yeah. Well, you want to go ahead and explain to our listeners since we have such a broad viewership of what that is exactly. Do you know, can you? I, I kind of know. Yeah. Um, it's for, you know, first time offenders. Uh-huh. Um, and I wouldn't say it's like a free ticket, but um, I'm not really sure how I would explain it. Okay. So. Moving on. Okay. Um, but the way I understood it was that I took the prayer for judgment and if I complied with my terms of probation for the other two charges, which I believe at that point I was pleading guilty to possession of stolen goods and obtain property under false pretense Mm -hmm. that I could get the larceny charge with the prayer for judgment. And if I completed probation that they would kind of, I wouldn't be guilty of the larceny. And that was the most harsh charge. hold up on your record. Right. 
And how long was your probation sentence? It was 14. I'm now, I'm sorry, 24 months. So two years, okay. two years. Um, going into that, walking into that probation office for the <sighs> first time, what was going through your mind? What did you have like goals of completing the terms? Did you like, I think I thought I could do that, but deep down inside, I knew that I probably didn't stand a chance. Did you have plans of continuing to use? Probably. I don't really remember what was going through my mind besides the fact that I was super scared. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I didn't quit using. Yeah. Um, I think maybe I thought that I could have because I had like the deal of the century, but that wasn't enough motivation to stay clean. Yeah. Because there's, I mean, like I think in talking to these folks like consistently um, every week, like common factor that like I'm hearing and based off my direct experience as well is that like I think there needs to be more of a balanced consequences like from my particular experience like I didn't change until I faced real realistic consequences and consequences that I could I could follow through Um, but that's what, that's what it took for me to wake up and to see that, um, I could change. I needed to change. I had to change. I didn't have a choice. Like if I wanted to survive, I had to change. Right. How long did you last? Um, gosh, I probably skated by for my first six or seven months. Yeah. Before passing your analysis and doing all that stuff, or how yeah, that barely, yeah. barely. Um, really watching your calendar and exactly, count, literally counting, days, counting hours, hours, yeah. hours, counting hours. Um, mm-hmm. and so for the first six and seven months, like I could do that, I quit, mm-hmm. I could quit using for you know 72 hours, so I could have um a clean UA. Um, but that 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 didn't last long. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only that, but I had several thousands of dollars uh, of restitution I had to pay. Yeah. So at this point in my addiction, I wasn't working. And if I and how was. How are you going to realistically pay that, afford yeah. to pay that off? Yeah. I mean, it was quite a bit of money. So um, I'm assuming that you violated probation. Yeah. But, you know, um, so at that point, probably like six months in the probation, um, you know, I came back with a dirty UA and I knew I was going to get violated I didn't get violated right there on the spot, which was um, your first time dirty UA. You usually don't get violated. Mm-hmm. Um, they kind of give you 30 days to come back. And then, you know, if you if it's dirty again, then there's consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, Second chance. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I skated right on down to Florida. So I just left the state. Yeah, a dirty your analysis. I did. But they didn't. Uh, violate you at that time so you knew you had to do something right you knew you had to take action yeah so what did you do Uh, I talked to my parents um, and told them that I thought I needed rehab Um, did you do this because you were you wanted to change or did you do this because you thought it was a way out of the problems that you were facing I think I can say a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Like I, I wanted at that point, I wanted to stay clean or I wanted to get clean. But I think my bigger motive was to try to get myself out of trouble. Yeah, for sure. My motives weren't um, fully. How did you approach your parents with? Well, this actually, idea? this would have been uh, the second time 
going to rehab. So let's take a couple steps back and talk about. I'm trying to think. It's all such a kind Mm -hmm. of a blur, really, Mm -hmm. because I was just using so much in between Mm -hmm. those two times. Um, I went to my first rehab in March of 2000. 15. So I was still, I had pending charges, those first set of pending charges. What led up to like that decision to go down there? Um, my parents had kicked me out of my house mm-hmm. and uh, I was homeless and I found my way in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'd driven up all the way up there. On a side note, when I was going through your Instagram pictures today, <laughs> trying to find one for the later <laughs> segment at the end of the show, I saw Cincinnati. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, my sister Uh, lives up there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I was homeless. My parents, um, they were just done with me. I think at that point, Mm -hmm. um, I I had pending charges. I was kind of like stealing from them and they were starting to catch on. Um, and they kicked me out and I had no means of surviving here in Jackson County. So I took off to Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. Um, and that introduced myself to a whole nother world that I didn't really know existed. Yeah. Um, I was up there for probably a week or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd seen things that I wish I'd never seen. Sure. Um, at this point I was starving. I was homeless and I ended up calling my, my dad, um, who I would say I'm definitely a mama's girl. So mm-hmm. for me to call my dad, I knew that so really reaching out. I was reaching out. Yeah. yeah. So, um, they, I said, you know, I think I need rehab. Um, that was my first journey. My dad wired me just enough money to get home. My gas money, mm-hmm. a little bit of food money. And I came home and like two or three days later, my dad drove me down to South Florida and I checked myself in mm-hmm. to an inpatient facility. What was that experience like in that South Florida? That was my Florida? first. Where were you at, Delray or uh, No, but I was in North Palm. North Palm. North Palm. And I was like waiting to do my intake. Mm-hmm. And a guy came up to me and said, what's your DOC? And I was like, what is that? What does yeah. that mean? Uh-huh. You know? And um, he's like, your drug of choice. And I was like, oh, wow. What you got, bro? Like everything, <laughs> yeah. you know, like uh-huh. whatever I can get my hands on. Yep. Um, so, yeah, there that was that was an experience. Did you um, complete the? I did not. Okay. I was actually so sick that I manipulated my parents into coming and getting me against medical advice. Gotcha. I left AMA. And came back here. And I came back here. Mm-hmm. And I lost all, all while these charges were pending. Pending. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so I think like my lawyer was staying in touch and, you know, let them let the court know that I was in a program but I didn't have any letters of completion or anything like that. Um, gotcha. Which so, would have, could have potentially yeah. ex- benefited you Absolutely. in that court case. Yeah. So yeah, I came back. Um, and then, so I came back in, I believe it's so March, April, so sometime in April, maybe mm-hmm. May. And then in June, that was when I got the second set of charges. Gotcha. So, yeah. All right. So we got a little bit ahead of ourselves. Yeah, you sorry, sent it you to probation. Right. Lasted a few months, yeah. came back on a dirty urinalysis, and before they could violate you, you decided, I'm going to go back to treatment. Right. Um, did you go to the same facility that you went the first time? I did not. Okay. I decided to go to Fort Lauderdale. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why I chose Florida for uh, rehab is because that is where my insurance is based out of. Gotcha. So a lot of those... Um, facilities are 80 to a hundred percent covered on my insurance. Gotcha. So 
But yeah, so I went down there and I actually had to go to detox this time. Mm-hmm. The first time I did not have to go to detox. So that was a whole new experience in itself for me. Um, that sucked. Yeah. <laughs> detox sucked. Um, even with, you know, medication assistance, it's just not, ugh, I didn't enjoy it at all. Yeah. What, I mean, yeah, I've, I don't know that you would enjoy it, but what, <laughs> what was it about that, that, what could be, what could have been different? What do you mean for? In the detox process. Oh my gosh. I don't know. I thought maybe from like what I had heard in the, my, like my first rehab center was that like, it was just a place to go and get like one really good last high before you had to go into treatment. Yeah. They're and just telling you lies. Yeah. Man. So that I was like going in thinking I was going to get like blasted one last good time. Mm-hmm. And no, like I suffered. I don't believe the hype. Yeah. Don't believe the hype. So you, um, when I think I was in there about five days. Uh-huh. Were so. you committed this time? Like, were you yeah. willing to take the steps to sustain recovery? And I was. Okay. Yeah. I really, um, so when I got into the, the inpatient program, um, things just seemed different for me than the last time. I felt more willing and more like eager, mm-hmm. you know, to like want to learn the tools and the things that would help me to get sober and stay sober. Yeah. Um, but I struggled mm-hmm. in there. Um, and that was when I really learned that I had like a behavioral issue. So it wasn't the drugs, it was the behavior. Absolutely. Like I got clean and then I realized like all these other things started coming. And that, that moment happened while you're in the treatment center. Yeah. It so, was like arguing and fighting with all these females. And uh-huh. it was like, wow, you know, where did this come from? But you had the clarity from being sober to identify it and see it right. in your behavior and recognize that it's not just the drugs. Right. I, have, I have to change other things inside of me other than picking up. Definitely. So did you, you completed the program there? I did. It was 45 days uh-huh. and my parents and I agreed that I would move into the halfway house in, in South For- Florida, in South Florida. Yes. Mm-hmm. That came with the inpatient program. Yeah. So that was like a lot of structure and I needed that. Um, and there was like different phases and I had like the hardest time finding employment in South Florida. Like yeah. I just thought, even though I had like, I had gaps in my resume, I still had a pretty good resume. You're and young. Yeah, I was young and like, I really could just strike up a conversation. I was a people person. Mm-hmm. Um, but my, I just could not. Was it your record and your background or was I it I think that more... I had some of, yeah, that played yeah. part of it. Did the facility or the halfway house have like. Yeah, there was like resources yeah. and there were social workers and I always had so many interviews, but I never actually could like really just snag a job. Mm-hmm. So that made like living down there hard. Had you like, did you see a change in your behaviors? Somewhat. Yeah. So I, I got into the halfway house and I had a great roommate. And, um, at this point I was like searching for a sponsor and Mm -hmm. I couldn't find one. That was like a requirement that you had living in the halfway house. Like you had to have a job, you had to have a sponsor and you had to attend like a certain amount of meetings. Um, I like went through temporary sponsors, but, um, I never found one that like I had that connection with that everyone was talking about. When you were in the 
in the inpatient facility. And then when you went to the halfway house, had you, you had been attending regular 12 step meetings consistently throughout that time? Absolutely. They, um, you don't really have a choice. (laughs) You have to go anyways. Um, but then like when you get to halfway, you're kind of like out on your own and they just expect you to do that because you know, that's part of your recovery. So I was attending meetings. I was making the meetings, but I just couldn't find that person, that sponsor that I needed that I, you know, I thought I needed to be mm-hmm. able to take me through the steps. Yeah. Um, was so, it you or was it, or were there people that were willing to take you on? It was me. Or was it you being picky? And it was me being picky. Creating. Like standards, like mm-hmm. unrealistic standards. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So between not finding employment and not having a sponsor, I like really started to get down on myself about 90 days sober. Yeah. I was just like, feeling sorry for myself. My family was like, I knew that they were struggling up here to keep me down there. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't a good feeling. Did you have like um, a recovery family, a, a solid like home group that you felt welcomed at and connected to? Yeah. So um, I had a couple of different places down there. I I had my home group, um, but there's just like so many options down there for, for meeting and you know, triangle houses and all that. So there was always something going on that was recovery based, mm-hmm. but like my home life, um, it was apartment complex. So there was like a lot of, a lot of women. And I just always kind of felt alone. I felt mm-hmm. like a outsider in that group that I lived with. How long did you last down there? 120 days. Uh-huh. And in the middle of the night, I like, so I'd just been struggling, um, struggling emotionally, financially, Um, so I thought it would be a fantastic idea to pack my things in the middle of the night and head on back to North Carolina. I completed my program. I'm struggling to find a job. I'm not feeling good. So I'm going to go right back home to my environment. To my comfort zone. In the middle of the night. Yeah. Like at like one o'clock in the morning and my roommate had like woke up, you know, the house mom and and everyone tried to get me to stay. Uh Oh, it was, I like remember that night so vividly. Um, do you regret leaving? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, man, I do for sure. I think if I would have reached out a little bit more and would have put a little bit more effort Mm -hmm. into my recovery, instead of just like thinking that things should have been handed to me, Mm -hmm. um, kind of got out of your own way. Yeah. Yeah. Did you make it home? I did. Uh And so that was like in August. And by September, I was using again. Okay. Um, yeah. And it was just like marijuana. I thought that I could just like, you know, come home and smoke some weed and I could like maintain my sobriety. Self-medicate. Yeah. And meanwhile, you had dipped out on this probation. Yeah. And you knew you had a dirtier analysis. So there had to be warrants and stuff lurking in the... I did. So I was like living in South Florida the whole time and I had warrants for my arrest. Uh Uh-huh. So I came home and I turned myself in. Okay. Yeah. You did? I did. All right. Yeah, I didn't have a choice. So you had the courage to do that. Yeah. Um, And what happened? How did they... In rehab, you have social workers and, you know, so they were like writing letters and they were staying in touch with... Uh, people up here, my probation officer, who wasn't really having it anyways. Um, but there was letters of recommendation and all that jazz. So when I stood before the judge and told them that I had successfully completed the program, um, 
they kind of just let me go. Mm-hmm. You know, they said, okay, if you're going to better your life, then we're not going to punish you for that. Um, and I think they like extended an additional six months of my sentence, my probation sentence. So essentially they just put you back on probation. And they, yeah. Because was, you were, eh, yeah. So, um, I was lucky, you know, uh-huh. but like, I knew that wasn't really the answer yeah. because I was back to getting high again. Yeah. And how long did you survive on probation? Um, I don't know. I was always finding, uh, ways and means to somehow like scan my, my tests, you know, um, I mean, I'm just going to be honest. I, there was things that I did yeah. to make sure I could pass that test. Um, but so it looked like you were clean. You were, you were going through the motions and doing what you had to do to survive and protect yourself. Yeah. And like, I thought I was like this awesome mastermind behind like this scam, but don't we all. Yeah. So like I would show up at the courthouse with like my pajamas on, like no makeup, mm-hmm. hair hadn't been washed in days. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'm sober. I can pass my UA. But like to someone, I mean, just looking at me, you could tell I was just a mess. Sure. I was a mess. This guy does this for a living, man. Yeah. So it was like, I wasn't fooling anyone but myself. Mm-hmm. Did you complete the terms of probation? I did not. Okay. What happened? Um, so, yeah, somehow I made it through like the fall and the wintertime um, with probation. I just don't even know how I never, I mean, how I just didn't straight up get arrested. Um, and so the fall, uh, the wintertime, things just got worse for me. At this point, I was, um, I'd broken all the trust with my family and friends. I'd stolen and pawned everything that you could think of. And at this point, this was like in December and January of 2015, going into 2016. Um, and I was just like suicidal and my, you know, things that the probation officer were not good. Somehow I like manipulated myself every time. Mm-hmm. Uh, talked myself out of getting arrested and how I just don't ever, I'll never understand how I managed to pull that off. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, uh, by like February, when I hadn't paid like anything on those thousands of dollars that I owed, he started talking about um, a violation. Yeah. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've made it this far. Like without a violation, I can't do it now. You skirted along this far. Yeah, exactly. Like just barely. Um, And I mentioned the word rehab. To, to the my, No, to my family at this point. Did, and they know, just, did they know you were still? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was oh, obvious. It was terrible. I mm-hmm. would, I would, yeah, sneak in and out home. I'd be gone for days at a time. Um, they were just so just done with me at that point. Um, so when I went mention the word rehab to them, they're just like, what? And you no. brought it up again. Again. Because... You because were, I was about to get in trouble. You're about to be facing more consequences. Yeah, so it was just kind of like, gosh, is this girl ever going to get it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so I mentioned it, and they just completely blew me off, you yeah. know? They're like, no, like, we're not even taking you serious. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went, so that was in February. And then in March, I went in, and he, my probation officer was writing a violation and they were setting a court date for restitution because I hadn't been paying my fines. Um, that was like on a Tuesday and my court date was like that Thursday. And by Wednesday I was on an airplane 
back to South Florida. Yeah. You had convinced your parents to. Yeah, I did. So it took them like a month of me saying, I think I need rehab. Mm -hmm. And then they finally agreed, you know. So you, you got on the plane and you headed back to South Florida. Uh, For the new, third time. New treatment center? Yeah. New spot. Yeah. So three trips, three different treatment centers. Right. While skipping out on this hearing that's approaching. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just want to like say that while I was in the airport this past time, my mom drove me. And for whatever reason, like that moment just sticks with me so much um would you say that was like your moment of clarity or you were I think it was some of it because I can remember like going through security and like rolling my bags and I was I was so messed up I was gone and I just like look back and I can see my mom standing there mm -hmm. just tore down brokenhearted um ooh, it was an emotional moment for sure um, and I, I, I kind of knew then when I got on that airplane, it was going to be a really long time before I saw my family again, um, because I was willing to do whatever it took this time to make sure I can maintain sobriety. You were all in. I was all in. Okay. And I knew that there was going to be serious consequences to face for, for skipping out on probation for the second time. What did that feel like to like really commit to doing this? Um, like really genuinely, sincerely, like look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm going to do this this time. I got this. Yeah. What did I feel like? It was like a breathtaking moment. Um, I mean, I was, I was gone, but I knew that I, I had to do it this time. Um, I felt relief, but I also felt um, just ate up with guilt and shame and embarrassment for going back yet the third time. So what would you say to that person that's like been through that like three times, four times, five times? Like how, how can you communicate that there is hope for somebody like yourself who might have been to three or four or five or however, yeah. many, however many treatment centers and however many years? Like how, how can you convey that message of, of hope to somebody? Like, I think, um, you know, for me, every time I went back, it got harder and harder. Um, I was more stubborn every time. But it, I, I truly believe um, since I was a three-timer, um, just don't quit, you know. Uh, it doesn't matter if you've been to rehab 13 times or three times. Um, you know, I always believe that, that everyone can do it if they put their mind to it, um, no matter how old you are. What? Can you identify like what was different this time, like than the other couple times? Was it the facing more consequences? Was it more guilt and shame? Was it um, just the level of? I think this time I had, you know, I knew I was going to have um, criminal consequences, mm -hmm. but when I went through a detox that last time, I had health consequences. Okay. Um, so I was in detox, and my body just like rejected that whole thing for process. seven days yeah, yeah it was it was scary um at one point I was rushed to the ER and thought that I was having kidney failure okay um so that was kind of like an eye-opening moment so I'm like three days into detox and I'm rushed to the ER and at that point it was like wow I know I can't go back out because I can't do this process again yeah when you know we talk so much about like that window that opens up like that yeah. that moment's 
and then it'll it'll rapidly close if we right. don't take action and do something about it. Um, and it sounds like your family like supported you throughout. They all did. Of this. They are such troopers. How Ugh, I'm so thankful for them. How can we help? How can we love? How can we be compassionate towards our loved ones when the windows open? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, you know, I've, I've never really had to, the perspective was never, I was never in their shoes, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so I really just won't ever know what my family went through. Um, but I think if I were, if the script were flipped, um, just, just nurture that person that's going through that, um, mm -hmm. to give them as much support. I feel like I needed support, but I also needed like some distance. I don't know if that really makes sense, but like mm -hmm. I didn't want someone getting too close to me when that window was open. Mm -hmm. Cause like, I know what's best for me. So I'm going to shut you out if you try mm -hmm. to come too close too soon. So like, I feel like you need like that healthy balance of love and distance when that window's open. Sure. So we're going to take a quick break. Okay. And when we come back, we are going to finish this story. The story of recovery with my homegirl, Courtney Kimmel. We want to hear from our listeners, right? Last week, we interviewed my, my man, Alvin Hooks, yeah. a.k.a. Notes, um, who's a musician that we met through the show. We want to play your music. We want to promote what you guys are doing. So if you or anyone you know is making music, um, whether it's recovery related or just sharing a positive message, submit it to our show. Um, you can do that through Facebook or through email. You can email it to admin at ncraw.life. So we're going to go ahead and play one of Notes tracks. It's a new song that he actually debuted last week when he performed it live at this table. He recorded it in the studio this week, sent it to me a couple of days ago. I was like, dude, that would be great to play like as a, on the follow-up episode after yeah, you performed yeah. it live. Cool. So this is Last Night, performed by Notes. Check out his music. Give him a follow on SoundCloud. Um, it's Alvin Hooks on, on SoundCloud. Or like his Facebook page, All or Nothing Music on Facebook. So we'll be back in just a few minutes. Thank you. I want to tell you about this dream I had last night. Tell them about it. And you know, it played a part on my life right now, man. It got me thinking. Really, brother? But before I tell you about it, man, let me tell you how the dream went down, man. How it go down, Shit man. crazy. What about, about it? Let me talk to you. I'm listening. I'm listening. I'm listening. I had a dream one night, somebody spoke to me Reached for my pistol, but it won't where it's supposed to be Looked him in the eyes and I asked him what he want with me Pointed to a mirror, an image parked in front of me Visions of my past, when my parents threw me to the streets Like a piece of meat, man that anger rose inside of me I screwed up my face and I asked him what he's showing me He's showing me a life that he didn't even plan for me Saw myself in cuffs, bloody and bruised up I remember when it happened, homie That's the day that your boy lost his cool and your boy started snapping And ever since then I played the cards I was handy I saw another vision of me staying in a mission And I'm working like a slave and I'm battling my afflictions Then I found myself slipping 
not itching. Next thing you know, you brought back in this dope addiction. I dumped off that bed and I just started flipping. And I picked up that miracle, that motherfucker tripping. I don't care who he was, bro. Just started snapping. But he said, hold on, hooks, let me tell you what's gonna happen. Ten years from now, you're gonna hit the streets running. Life going good and you're making plenty money. Making all your meetings and you're looking like something and your head held high cause you're getting good loving. But everything changed when you stop making meetings. Started missing work and your urge to start peaking. Wifey took notice and she called for your attention, but she won't even listen. Hearing her for some reason, so forces got raised and your arms start itching. You slammed the front door cause you were tired of a bitch. Men jumped in the whip and the tires start screeching. She screamed, come back cause she had a bad feeling. I got tears in my eyes, could it really be the truth? Then this shit so real, could it really be the truth? And then I saw the dope man and I really started feeling. I put it in my veins and I really started leaning. Heart started beating, mouth started foaming. Couldn't call for help cause I couldn't stop choking. Then my body stopped breathing and I knew the fucking reason. Then it all came back, I was just fucking dreaming. Yeah, hey, look, then it all came back, I was just fucking dreaming. Word up. And that very next day, your boy Notes made a meet. Real shit, homie. Real shit. Then it all came back. I was just fucking dreaming. Yeah. Tell Hey. And that very next day, your boy Notes made a meet. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to NC Raw. Finishing the conversation with Courtney Kimmel. The journey to recovery and sustaining long-term recovery. We left off, you were kind of, we were discussing and talking about that defining moment where you really committed to pursuing and committed to walking the walk of recovery. And that was at your third trip down to South Florida to a treatment center. You had gone through the detox process. What, What was different this last time in the treatment center, like as far as like your participation, your, how active were you? What was, what was that overall experience like? Right. So, um, you know, I, I did detox for like seven days and then my first probably 10 days in the treatment center, um, were basically just more hospital trips. Uh, I couldn't really engage in the groups. I had to like really just, um, kind of take a step back my first several days. Um, So then like once I was really just done with that whole process of detoxing, um, I really engaged. So I think probably like my first two weeks in treatment, um, I jumped right in on a sponsor, which I'd never really done that before. I always just kind of like made excuses and picky. Yeah. Yeah, So So you kind of let your guard down. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Um, So I just like went right up to this girl and um, I'd heard her speak at a meeting and I thought that she'd be a great fit. So yeah, I'm in treatment for like two weeks and I have a sponsor. And what was it about this girl that attracted you? um, Our stories were really similar. Uh And at that point she'd had uh, about 18 months sober and um, it was a little bit, you know, they don't really... At, the, at that treatment center, they wanted you to have someone with, you know, a lot of clean time. Um, so, but I just really could connect to her. Um, she was really easy to talk to when I went up to her and introduced myself. And so. I'm assuming this was in the Fellowship of Narcotics Anonymous? It was. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
So we would go out to meetings, but they would also have like in-house meetings where they'd bring in a speaker okay. from a certain fellowship. So yeah, I was like feeling really good about myself and, um, you know, just like eager. I was like doing all my assignments and I'd like hurry up and do them all in like one night, you know, and like couldn't wait to just, um, share with, you know, um, my other, the other people I was in there with, um, you know, like they asked like certain questions and I was like so eager to like share my answers, you know? Um, but all that came to like a stop, like three or four weeks into my, my program. Um, I like became kind of like resistant, I guess. Just like, wasn't really feeling it anymore. What do you think caused those feelings? I'm, I'm not really sure. I just think that like, I'd, I'd done this already and I think I was just like expecting myself to fail. So like, why was I, I think my mind, my mindset was that, uh, why would I even put in the effort? Because I'm just going to like relapse anyways. Um, that was like my sick way of thinking. How did you overcome these types of feelings? I won't ever forget it. Uh, we were like in a small group setting. So like in at my treatment facility, each counselor had like a small group of people um, so we were, I was with my counselor and, uh, we were in our small group setting and she just called me out on my BS and she was the just, the counselor did, the counselor in did in front of your, in front of like, you know, my small group of yeah. people. And, um, she was just like, you are lazy. You like, you want recovery, but you don't want to do the work that goes with it. And she was like, your laziness is going to get you killed. I'm like, I'll never forget that moment. So again, another kind of. Uh, moment of clarity where you like yeah. ha- really had to look yourself in the mirror and actively change and then mm-hmm. actively engage in the process. Yeah. yeah. And like, I don't really know why it was that moment, but for her to tell me that I was lazy and that it, my laziness was going to get me killed, it was just kind of like, wow, she's right. Like, I don't want to do the work that comes with it. Brutal honesty. Yeah. And like, I needed that. And for the first time out of, you know, all the counselors and psychiatrists I'd ever seen, like she was the first one that like, wasn't afraid of like, to, to be that kind of brutal honest. Yeah. Definitely like a courageous act for somebody, especially in like this day and age where like, you know. Yeah. Cause like I was, I was just like, I was so hot-headed and I was always on my toes with a rebuttal and like I knew what was best for me and I didn't want to listen to anyone else. But you it know? resonated with you. Yeah, it did. And what action did you take following her wise words? Oh my gosh, like everything just changed. I started making my beds, you know, for like the behavioral health technicians. They had to come in every morning and I, I wanted to sleep in as long as possible. And I didn't want to make my bed and I didn't want to put my dishes away. So like small things like that was kind of like an eye-opening moment for me because I was more willing to do those things. So you changed your behaviors that were around your living situation. Yeah. Like your living behaviors. and For sure. Um, I just started trying to engage myself more and more in groups. Um, Wasn't always easy, you know, In, in a group setting like that, you're talking about, 20, 30 people, females and males, you know, it can get, it can get really intense. Um, so just, I really just tried to go in full blast and not, you know, um, do my assignments half, halfway. Um, so yeah. Really put in that full effort. Right. What, um, like what does you feel a difference 
after like changing your behaviors and changing the ways that you that you ultimately lived and acted um how soon did you feel a difference um, like did you have a moment where you're like oh you know what this is working <laughs> kind of um that lasted for probably like three weeks um, where I was just like really engaged and I felt really good. And uh, I was like calling home all the time and like, like sharing my progress with them. Um, Which is probably huge for them to yeah. hear this. Cause they, those types of behaviors didn't happen the other. Yeah. Like times. I used to call home and like complain about the treatment yeah. center I was in and mm-hmm. like they're brainwashing me and they're crazy. And like, you gotta get me out of here type thing. And, um, this was the first place where I wasn't calling home to like complain. I was calling home because I genuinely wanted to hear from them and like, let them know how well I was doing. At this point, I was probably like around the 40 day mark. Um, and I was trying to like find a halfway home to go to because the treatment center I went to like didn't provide one like the previous facility did. You know, my family didn't really have funds to put me in a halfway house. That was, I mean, some of these places wanted like two fifty a week, like mm-hmm. crazy amounts of money. And we just didn't have that. Um, but as I'm working on my discharge plan, um, you know, my parents were going to bring me my car down to South Florida. I was going to try to just, you know, make a way of living down there for a little while. So your initial intention was to change your environment. Yeah. Not come we back. knew, mm-hmm. we knew that, um, I could not have 90 and 120 days and come back home. Yeah. That just wasn't realistic for me at this point in my, in my recovery. Um, so my treatment center had caught wind that I was getting my car sent down to me. Um, and I don't know, it's like a treatment center. So there's like rumors and drama, you know, you got like a bunch of addicts and alcoholics trying to get sober and it can be crazy. Um, so somehow a rumor was going around that I was going to like get my car and just like take off to Miami. And so they wanted me to stay. The treatment center wanted me to stay. another extended period of time? Yeah, like another 15, 20 days. And I was not having it. No, the old behavior came out quick. Mm -hmm. Um, What'd you do? I decided that I was not going to stay. Um... So I was supposed to stay 45 days. So like around 40 days, this all kind of like came to the water and they were like, you know, you really need to stay. Um, but I just like, I just, at that point I was so mad and um, I kind of like felt like my plans, my parents' plans were like already in motion to bring me that car. So, and I wanted the car, you know, I was like, I'm not going to stay in treatment another 15 days. So I left. Mm-hmm. Um I was kind of told that either I could stay for the additional period of time or I had to go right then and there. Um, So I left my treatment center on bad terms and I made it to my halfway house. But I was, I remember that day, like my family was mad at me. I was scared. Oh my gosh, I was so scared because like I left treatment, this place that like really helped me. I left it on bad terms. The place that you had created these relationships with like your counselor that, Right. Really like aha moment benefited you. Right. So, oh my gosh, I remember getting there and just feeling alone and scared and like either I was going to make it or I wasn't. There was no in between. What year did this happen? 
This was 2016. Have I got to ask, have you had any contact with the counselor or anybody? Absolutely. There? Have you? Okay. Yeah. Um, actually, I'm pretty sure someone from my alumni is watching. Give him um, some love. <laughs> I think James from Beachway tuned in at some point. Beachway. Um, yeah, Beachway and Delray. Uh, they definitely, even after I left on bad terms, um, I couldn't wait to go back and, and let them know that I was still kicking at mm -hmm. five and six months sober. Beautiful. Um, yeah, and they actually let me be a part of the alumni. So I thought that was really great. So like once a week, we would all meet up and you know, do these alumni events mm -hmm. and hang out and do meetings. So what was your initial um, moves or action when you made it to the halfway house? How did you establish what your recovery would be look like? Were you still active in the 12 step fellowship? I was. Yeah, I was really struggling. Um this place had how how soon after you made it to the halfway house can you you identify that you might have that you were struggling yeah immediately okay i was like unpacking my things and i was so miserable did you and, regret leaving oh yeah almost like instant i mean uh it was an instant so something inside of you knew that it wasn't probably the wisest decision right. to leave early yeah, but my pride, like, I wasn't going to say that, mm -hmm. you know? You can now, two, yeah, a I year and a half now. later, for, <laughs> two years exactly. later. Exactly. Sure. Um, but, yeah, so, um, you know, my I unpacked, and I just knew I was not in a good space. And, you know, I called my sponsor, and I was able to, you know, get advice from her. And I was just, like, so thankful for that. Um, I did not last at that halfway very long. I found myself caught up in the halfway scandals and insurance scams. Mm -hmm. um, so like maybe three weeks into my stay, um, I realized that I was not safe there. Mm -hmm. My recovery was in jeopardy sure. because of the surroundings I were in. I was in and the way that like things operate in South Florida. So you went there because you knew it wasn't safe to come back here. Right. And now I was not in a safe place. Mm -hmm. And was that, looking back now, can you still say that? Or was that just your perception at the time because of No, I can still it's say still that. Definitely the yeah. case. Yeah. Um, okay. Just not a good place. And I just like think back now and like, oh my gosh, I don't know how I made it down there. I really don't. Um, so I'm. How know, long did you stay and what did you do next? Uh, my next move, I moved into a new halfway. So I actually reached out to my treatment center alumni and, mm -hmm. you know, was asking them, um, you know, of, of other places I could stay. You have to be really careful down there um, because places will pose as halfway houses that aren't, yeah. you know, it, it's just so different down there than it is here. Um, so I found myself in an, a, a safe place. So I was in a, I moved down the street to another halfway. And with that halfway, I had to do um, intensive outpatient three As times. As one of the requirements. As a to requirement, stay there. absolutely. So definitely, um, it's like still providing that structure right. that you thrived on when you were exactly. in the treatment center. Um, yeah. So, what was that like? Did you complete the terms? Um, what, like, oh man, I just want to say that um, 
you can be sober and you cannot be in recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, Abstaining from drugs <laughs> does not mean that you're in recovery. Yeah. Um, and I really realized that it was like, um, yeah, so, okay. So I moved into this halfway and immediately I did not get along with the two other women I had to live with. Mm-hmm. Um, it was nasty. I mean, it was just hostile and I was not, I was not an easy person to get along with then. Um, but I wasn't willing to admit that back then. So right from the get go, I had more behavioral issues at this halfway. It was a safe environment, but I was making things hard. Were you still active in the 12 step fellowship? I was. Were you going to church? Yeah. Do do you think that you're going through the motions or were you actively? I was trying to go through the motions. Um, and I believe that I allowed everything else small to like get in the way of my recovery. I think that's like, I don't know. My experience tells me that like, that's kind of like a part of the process. You start getting that clarity, but you're still that person, right? You're still acting the same way and you're still doing the same things. And at some point you just got to like get out of your, get out of your own way. And like, whether it's like put your ego to the side, surrender, whatever it is for you, the person, um, and really like commit to this is the path and I'm going to do it, whether I like it or not. Right. Like whether I agree with what my sponsor is telling me to do, whether I agree with what my IOP counselor is telling me to do, whether I'm comfortable living with these ladies that we just butt heads, this is a part of my recovery. Mm -hmm. I have to accept that. I have to love the process and really like commit to the process. So hard to do. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. I was, I was miserable. I was, I was sober, but I was miserable and I was barely hanging on. Did you, you, but you knew that. Yeah, like I you, knew you that. You were very aware of it. I was so aware of it. What'd you um, do? My IOP, you know, they really did try. Um, so it was more you than. It was me. Uh-huh. And I was just so resilient. And um, again, I knew what was best for me. You know, professionals didn't know what was best for me. And uh, several seems like to be a common theme of the it night. It was, yeah. it was, and um, and everyone knew it. Every all my close friends and family, they knew it. And you know, my counselor, everyone, they tried, they tried so hard. They'd set me in on these meetings with doctors and counselors at the program, and they gave me warning after warning. Um, and I still a bratty behavior. I was a bully. Um, and those actions led to me getting kicked out of that IOP program in that halfway house. Okay. Um, I was actually asked to leave immediately. And so you have your car. Yeah, I have my car. You're in South um, Florida. I'm in South Florida. You've been and kicked out of the halfway house and IOP because of your bad behavior. Behavior. Yeah. And but, at that point, I was like six months sober. Six months sober and working the program. Yeah. And just. A mess. Mm-hmm. A mess. Life. Oh, man. Um, yeah, so I, you know, after, of course, the treatment center is already calling my mom and my dad. Like, you know, we've we've had to let your daughter go. At this point, like in South Florida, once you get like established clean time, like halfway houses kind of like quit accepting you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was six months sober and like no IOP program really wanted me. Because um, that's just how it works down there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So my my dad, back to the rescue, put me in a hotel, well, a motel um, in Boynton Beach for like five nights until I could like work something out with my sponsor. I had an amazing sponsor at the time. And she you stuck with her throughout I, all yeah, this. What yeah. kind of like things did she say to you? Like, did she... Oh man. <laughs> I mean, did she like She was she was honest and um sometimes that hurt, but It sounds like this behavior went on for It did and she a was a period just, of time. Yeah. And um I don't really know if there was like any talking through to me at any other point at this time in my life. Yeah. Um What's y'all's relationship like now? Um I don't really talk to her anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are friends on social media. Um, but I know if I ever had to pick up the phone that she'd answer for me. Yeah, Absolutely. Sure. For sure. Um, yeah. So I was like in this motel and I had a friend that, so you, you know, you get established where you live and you meet people. And I had a friend of mine, I could trust him. I actually went to treatment with him and he was established in his recovery. He brought me dinner at the motel one night. And when he saw where I was at, it was like, wow, we got to get you out of here. I was staying in a really awful, scary place. Yeah. Um, it was not a safe environment whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically a trap motel. And I, I, I knew it was pretty bad, but I didn't really, I didn't, wasn't from there. So I didn't know. Um, and at that point you're just trying to survive. I was just trying to survive. Yeah. I literally have like, my car is weighed down, you know, um, <laughs> I had like a paycheck to my name mm-hmm. and I had nowhere to go, but I knew I could not come back here. Like if there was anything I knew at that point in my life, I could not come back to Jackson County, especially under the circumstances that I was in at that moment. Yeah. Um, so I'm six months sober and my friend gets me into this sketchy halfway house. I knew it wasn't legit to begin with, but I just was like ready to call another place home this point i was i was willing to do whatever it took to stay sober put your guard down i did put my guard down let go of whatever drama yeah. might be ahead yeah. of you um so that w- that's the moment where you truly yeah. sur- surrendered and truly for sure dedicated yourself to doing yeah. this thing yeah oh man yeah what did it feel like? Uh, it was a great moment, but like also a moment of just like, how did I, like, how did I allow myself to get here? And what can I do to never come back to this, this moment in my life? Mm-hmm. So even though I was like homeless and I'm struggling and I don't know how I'm going to like make it to the next day, like there was like just this moment in all that darkness where I was like, wow, I'll, I'm never going to have to go through this again if I change my actions and my way of living. Um, mm-hmm. That was like my next focus, the next like point in my life. Were so you um were were you active in the church throughout I was, all, all yeah. of this? Yeah, I had an awesome church down there in Boca, uh-huh. um, Victory Church, and that's that was like where I opened my my spiritual journey again. So that played a role in yeah all of this. It was like I wanted to be, I wanted a relationship with God, and like I wanted to be like this amazing woman, but I was not acting like one. Um, so. You walked into this new halfway house and decided to change that. Yeah. That was my plan that okay. did not go accordingly. Mm-hmm. Um, thank, I thank God every single day that I did not stay there very long. Um, 
again, it was not a legit halfway house. Um, oh, man. Um, I woke up to, so I'm like two weeks in and I'm living with a guy I went to treatment with and my best friend from my previous halfway house. She'd already moved out on her own. Um, and somehow we all come together in this not legit halfway house. Mm-hmm. And it was bad. Yeah. It was just bad from the get-go. So what did you do? Um, two weeks in, I found my roommate overdosed. Um, mm-hmm. Luckily, you know, she was saved and she's still alive. Um, but I was arrested that same exact more like night going into morning when I was on the way to visit her at the ER. So you got pulled over. I on got the way pulled ER over. My name got your, ran with your North Carolina plates. <laughs> yeah, because we just went through a a large amount of time, and you had bailed on your yeah, like no contact. Mm-hmm. Like I knew there was warrants out for my arrest. So it all began to catch up with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How long sober? At this six, point, I was months? like six to seven months. Six yeah, to I was seven like coming right sober. up on. Really starting to feel a change and really like committed to make a change yeah. after all this time, after like really being your own worst enemy. Right. After having that moment, <sighs> you got stopped. I got stopped. And um, immediate, immediately it was kind of like, you know, you're a fugitive in the state of North Carolina. And I was laughing because I'm like, it, but it was not a laughing matter at all. Yeah. Um, I was immediately taken into custody uh, in West Palm Beach County mm-hmm. Jail. Um, and even then, like, even in that moment, oh, when I made that phone call home, um, my parents were upset, but we knew it was, you know, like, we want, I wanted to turn myself in at, like, a year sober. You like, knew you wanted to clear it up. Yeah, like, but. that was our plan all along. I just needed to establish some some good, clean time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I made Did the, you, at that time, did you think that you would be facing, like, significant consequences? No, that was what Or I'm, did you think that because you've done all these things... Yeah. ...that the judge... Exactly. ...would see that you had put in all of this effort to right. to truly genuinely change. Yeah. I really just thought that I was And you had been able to get away with it exactly prior. So like why yeah. would this time be any different? Right. Um so I sat in West Palm County for like two weeks and I really the whole time in the back of my mind it's like almost Thanksgiving and I'm like, you know, there's no way North Carolina is going to come get me. You're just waiting for them to come and open up your cell and let you go. And let me you? go. Yeah. yeah. Like I thought I was just going to go and like, I You're was like, just going to go eat Thanksgiving with your recovery piece. Yeah. And, yeah. and like life, uh, you know, I'll Do deal with North group. Carolina yeah. when I deal with it. And uh, I remember when they called my name over the intercom in the jail and they said, you know, pack your little whatever I had in there. And I thought I was going to get released and I got released into North Carolina custody. Mm-hmm. So here you are almost eight months clean mm-hmm. coming back to North Carolina to face these old charges that were like glooming over you. Yeah. And throughout that, that eight months, like did those charges that could potentially be there? I know you said you knew you had warrants, but th- did those charges that could potentially be there like ever like play a role in, like, did they ever cross your mind? Did you ever 
Um, were they glooming over you? They, yeah. You, so every, yeah, I I knew um, that they were there, and I never quite forgot about them. But I just tried to focus so hard on staying sober so that I would not have to go through that in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, so what was it like when you got back here? What happened? Oh man. Like, first thing, as soon as, like, I get into the Jackson County jailhouse, I see people that I know. Mm-hmm. People you used to run with. There's people I used to run with. People mm-hmm. I owed money to. Like, mm-hmm. it was intense. Traumatic. It, it was so intense. And I can remember the jailer, like, telling me that it was time to take my picture because the one I had was, like, so old and awful. And I was smiling ear to ear. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but um, I was like, you know what? These charges aren't new. These are old charges. And, like... I'm a new person, you know? I mean, I still had behavioral issues, but, like, I was sober, and I, like, wanted everyone to, like, see through my mugshot that, like, I was clean, Yeah, you know? To so, show that you had changed, yeah. made a change. And, um, find, you know... I'm find this picture real quick. I'm just kidding. <laughs> they, um, they booked me or whatever, and um, I don't know. It was... It, I... Yeah, so I was, like, in the jailhouse with a bunch of women that I'd ran with, and... um. The first thing I did was ask for like an AA or NA book. Because mm-hmm. you're um, actively working a program. Yeah. And like that was the only thing I knew, that mm-hmm. and a Bible. And they provided both for you? Um, No. It took them like three days to find an AA book and it was like falling apart, like pages mm-hmm. were missing. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to make the best of it because this is what I have to work with. Okay. Um, yeah. So that was, that was in December. And you went before a judge. I went before a judge on December 14th. Okay. 2016. Yeah. <laughs> and um, even though I was established in recovery and I had employment in Florida, um, my chances were over at mm-hmm. that point. And you, I, you knew I, going in? No. You didn't? You, no. You I really thought, you still I really, really thought that I was just going to get away get with it. Get some leniency. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. But that's not what happened. Mm-hmm. And Superior Court decided to revoke my probation. And I was sentenced to a Women's Correctional Institute in Raleigh. Mm-hmm. And it still didn't really hit home for me. Even after it was all said and done, I had to call my mom from the jail phone to make sure like what I had heard was correct. Because mm-hmm. um, it, it hadn't sunk in. That I was like going that you away. Would even be, yeah, facing that, right? Um, and they dropped it on you. Is this for real, man? Yeah, it was crazy. So, um, my family and I, we just wanted. We were really hoping that I could stay in Jackson County for Christmas so they could come visit mm-hmm. me. Um, and right after the first of the year, they took me out to Swannanoa, where the state picked me up. Yeah, um, it's like. This is a whole nother world. This to is a you. whole nother world. I get on there. I'm wearing my clothes that I was originally arrested in in Florida, which is like a tank top, shorts, and flip flops. January. In it's Western like January North Carolina. in North Carolina. Yeah. And these women are looking at me like I'm crazy. Mm-hmm. And I'm like scared to make eye contact with anyone. Like all this bad behavior. And like I'm this, this, you know, this brat and I can conquer anyone and anything. Like that immediately. Yeah disappeared because mm-hmm. I was scared. I was terrified. I had no idea what lay ahead of me. How long were you there? And then what did your recovery look like? So I was in Raleigh for four months. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Four months. Oh man. <laughs> um, 
So I just immediately found myself in the Bible. Um, when you first get to state, there's there's a whole process. Um, mm-hmm. You're not in general population. So there's like you're going through all these doctor's appointments and all that. But once I finally got established on the compound, so to speak, um, I found myself with my NA book and my Bible. And I think I spent more time in my Bible. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um I, that was an experience that I will never, ever forget. And I can say that being in the state facility, that is where I did most of my recovery in those four months. Sure. On your own or on with my support? Own. Um, you know, my, I mean, I had support. I had friends and family riding me and, you know, yeah. I was able to make calls, but. Was there an established recovery community inside? No. Okay. Um, every time they offered an NA or AA meeting, it was some, for some reason it was canceled. Like every time. Um church was like maybe once, once, a, once a month. Um, really doing your own work. Yeah. I had to, there was, there was no resources in there. Okay. Um, so yeah, I, I was like, eventually I was known on the compound, like the girl with the Bible. Like I never left my cell without it. Mm-hmm. I truly believe that that was like my protection because sure. I'm telling you, it's another world in there. I was, I was, um, because of my substance use and my mental health issues, they had me as like a high risk. So I was in there with some really violent offenders, people doing life. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was, I really just learned how to like keep my head down and just survive. Were you previously, um, very, strong in your faith or did this strengthen that it absolutely strengthened my faith Mm -hmm. like no doubt about it um and that was something that I took home with me as well I just I don't know I really believe that just God protected me while I was in there yeah so So. you you did the work in there release date comes yeah wow release date I never thought that was gonna come (laughs) Lay it on us. What is it? Uh, do what? What is it? Lay it on us. The date. Oh, it was um April 20th. 2016? 17. 17. Yeah. So, so um April 20th of 17. And then my one year was um May 5th. So like I'm like almost a year sober coming out, coming out. of the state facility. Mm-hmm. Um, so scared. So terrified. To come back to Jackson County. You came County. back to Jackson County. I had to. No other choice. There was you, no other were choice. Were you on probation? Parole. Parole. Mm-hmm. I was on parole and um, I like created good habits, you know, um, just small things like waking up early. Not that I really had a choice of, uh, you know, making my bed and folding my laundry, like small things like that just lead to, to other good habits. Um, but I was scared to come back. What did... What action did you take upon returning to define your recovery here in Jackson County? Um, the first thing was getting myself involved in a church. Mm-hmm. And I'm um, proud to say that I've been a member of Refuge in Dillsboro um, for a little over a year now. And the pastor, Shane Rotten, has been amazing. Pastor Shane. Yeah, Pastor Shane and his wife, Jess. Um they have been so welcoming and they've got so many great things going on there. So I'm very involved with the church. Okay. Um, Bible studies. Yeah. Bible things. studies. Anything um, going on there. You're 
participating? Yeah. So um, there's Celebrate Recovery. Mm -hmm. Um, They do that Sunday nights, meal at five and service at six. Um, And then, you know, the women, we have Bible studies. Men, they have Bible studies. We do like church dinners and all kinds of things going on. So cool. Yeah. You um, also picked up a new habit, hobby. I did. What's yeah. That? So uh, about 18 months into my recovery, I just kind of felt like something was missing mm-hmm. or that like I could just like do and be more. And I picked up going to the gym. Yeah. And but I. But not just going to the gym. This was so much more. Don't play it off. Like, I just go to the gym. Yeah. So when I started, like, my goal was to lose weight, of course. And um, I, like, just, like, did cardio. And then about two months into my fitness journey, I realized that I love lifting weights. Mm -hmm. um, And I no longer do it for the weight loss. I mean, the weight loss is just, like, a benefit. Yeah. But there, I have a feeling while I'm in that gym and I'm lifting that I can't really, it's, like, I can't describe it. Yeah. But I just feel on top of the world. I feel super strong. And um, man, I don't know. I just can't believe I've gone like all this time without fitness. Yeah. I love it. I go five days a week. Oh, so man. I know. <laughs> Who would have wow. thought? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I do that. And um, so if you were to define your recovery, what would that include? A lot of me time. Uh-huh. A lot of me time. Um which is something I'm so proud to say. Just, like, tell me all of it. What, what me time, church? <laughs> yeah, me time, out, church. Lay it all on me. Uh, working out. I've got a great group of women who stand behind me, and that uh-huh. was something I always like wanted so bad. Being a teenager and an early adult was to like be surrounded by women, and like I just would not do that. Um, I was around men a lot, so mm-hmm. I've got a great group of women, and I hang out with them. Um, some of them have kids, and I've really taken a liking to kids lately. Um, I journal a lot. I read a lot. Reading was something I picked up while I was incarcerated. Um, I can get lost in a good book and I never used to be able to do that. So, um, and, and, um, yeah, I don't know. I like, I've taken a little bit from all my programs and I kind of just applied on my own terms. Yeah. That's where I was going with it. Is that like, how would you suggest, because this, this program, this podcast is all about, um, defining recovery for the individual. So how would you suggest the newcomer to find, to discover what works for them? Um, With a newcomer, I I think for me, like I needed that structure, Mm -hmm. but I think once someone gets established in a certain fellowship or a certain program, um, there's nothing wrong with like testing the waters, you know, for, for so long, I thought I had to stick to NA and, um, cause that's what initially yeah, worked that was for like, you. Yeah. That, yeah. and that's just like what was beaten in my head when I was in rehab. So mm-hmm. when I came home, um, NA meetings weren't really available to me at that time of my life because yeah. of terms of parole. But I believe when a uh, newcomer gets established, test the waters, you know, um, it's for me, it was trial and error. What worked for me and what didn't. Yeah. Um, when I find something that works for me, I usually just go all in with yeah. it. So. And I mean, you're definitely showed your willingness to do that by doing all of these things that 18 months, two years prior would have been like <laughs> horrific to walk into the gym. Right. Yeah. You're like, uh, whatever. Dude, right. Yeah. 
And, but you're, you're still doing that to mm-hmm. the, you know, like it's not something that you just did when you first moved back. Yeah. Like still, I always gave up, yeah. you know, not like when you first got out of, um, incarceration, like you, you started trying these new things mm-hmm. to define and identify your recovery, right. but you're still doing that to this day. Right. Yeah. Like so you crazy. stepped out of your comfort zone last night. Oh, I know. <laughs> What'd you do? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I went to a meditation meeting. Like, yeah. yeah so, whew, that was a little different, yeah, but right? trying to get in tune with my inner self, yeah. uh, so to speak. But, um, so being back, right. And working through the process to identify what works for you and then doing it right. By mm-hmm. consistently being active in your church, by participating, celebrate recovery, by committing to the gym, right. Mm-hmm. To not just, um, lose weight, but overall live a healthy lifestyle. Right. Yeah. That's recovery. For sure. Um, have since that point in your life, have you, experienced any barriers any setbacks and then what did you do to like overcome those because um, I, I i can like looking back on my recovery like some of my biggest challenges i think i shared about this last night a little bit in the group but like some of my biggest challenges and um crisis have come like post recovery like mm-hmm. after I started my recovery when I thought that I was like I'm good I'm working my program I'm sober somewhat happy right. doing all the things that I'm like supposed to be doing and then it hit me right like life hit me mm-hmm. like just you know um so what what kind of barriers have you experienced and then what how did you overcome them uh, I think honestly, just the biggest barrier was, was, you know, facing my consequences with the law. That was, that was a really big barrier. But since coming home, um, first thing was a barrier with parole. You know, yeah. um, I was on a very strict curfew and I had a officer who didn't quite understand addiction and what recovery meant. So you know, two weeks into coming home, I didn't really have a program. I couldn't really reach out as far as NA and AA. Um, so because of your curfew, because of my stuff. curfew and the uh-huh. limit, you know, the limitation with meetings around yeah. here, um, the rural community. Right. So, and you know, I thought I've made it this far. Like I can't just give up now, um, over something silly. So that was when I decided to take into church, you know, um, things like that. The meetings don't fit my my structured schedule, but churches does. Yeah, the gym, absolutely. The gym does. Mm-hmm. So these are the things that I'm going to do right now while I can, and then expand on them as I go through right the parole process. Yeah, and um, another barrier that I deal with on a regular basis is my criminal background. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, any type of a decent job requires a background check. Um. You know, I think in this community, the the disease of addiction is kind of hard to understand. And I just feel like it comes with such such a stigma. Um, so when someone sees that about my background, like it's usually mm-hmm. like an instant. Yeah. No, we can't hire you. Yeah. How do you approach that, though? Like when you talk to these folks, like. Do I'm you, usually just so you, honest. Yeah. So, I mean, like, are, do you disclose like immediately or do you. 
kind of. Yeah, allowed, I mean, like, I get through the interview, unfold. and then, like, you know, they'll tell me, do you have any questions? And I'm like, well, I just need to disclose something with you, you mm-hmm. know? And, like, there in the moment, they don't seem like it's a problem or an mm-hmm. issue, and they appreciate that, my honesty. Until that paper comes back. Yeah, until that paper comes back, you know? And um, I took it hard, really hard when I first came home, and I was, like, trying to get employment. Um, and as the time has gone on, I have just accepted it. It mm-hmm. is what it is. Yeah. Um, you know, and luckily the field that I'm going into this fall, I believe they have a much more understanding and willingness to, you know, um, believe that people change. So luck, you know, I'm just glad that I'm going into something that yeah. you know, is acceptable. Yeah. That's so. one of the things on my list, on my vision for this brand What's of that? NC Raw is to create a network of employers. Yes. Build relationships with employers that are willing to work with us, our viewers and listeners to help them find employment. A lot of the larger cities like Asheville, Mm -hmm. um, South Florida, even probably like there's a network of five, 10, 12, however many businesses that will commit to, to hiring, um, not just people in recovery, but people that, that have a record. Right. Um, Absolutely. And so that's one of the things that, like, I'm going to talk about tomorrow at the event a little bit, cool. but also um, work with Courtney, people like yourself, to build these. It's about the relationship, right? Yeah, like, absolutely. If we can go to these employers and say, here, this is what we do. These are the services that we provide. Here's our fan base. Like, mm-hmm. can you commit to... I think our community needs that. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. absolutely. How has your recovery evolved over this process? Like you mentioned, like it was a certain thing at the beginning, right? Mm -hmm. And now it's probably not, like it was in a fellowship, Mm -hmm. 12-step, coming back here, it kind of changed a little yeah. bit. Like how, how has it evolved and like, how did you stay active in it, in its evolution? Yeah. Um, I only asked because like I, my direct experience was that like I found my path. I threw myself into it, just like you said, mm-hmm. and I attached to it. Right. And as my life changed, and things like this program started and things that supplemented the work that I was doing through the program. I started judging myself and beating myself up for not being as active in the program. Mm-hmm. When I had all of these other things in my life that supplemented it. Right. Instead of just accepting it and letting it be what it is in my life while I have these other tools and amazing fellowship and group of people around me and like the other things that kind of like took the place of the missing pieces. Yeah. I can relate to that. So how, how has it evolved? Like, what is it? I believe, uh, you know, I was, I really engaged and, and dived into celebrate recovery when refuge first decided to do that which was last July and August. Um, I was fully committed to that for several months. And I just believe that I came to a point in my life, 
which was probably around March of this year, where I was just like ready to venture out and and try some other things. Um, and I can relate to, like you said, kind of like beating yourself up, you know. Um, I thought by not not continuing to go to CR, um, that yeah. I was like letting myself down or... Yeah. Well, or, it was like, because I experienced the relief from mm-hmm. it at that time. Right. And then I was like, well, if I'm not growing, doing it, mm-hmm. am I going to, am I going to lose that? Right. You know? Yeah. I, am I going to lose that stableness and that ease and that contentment that this thing provided for me? Yeah, absolutely. I went through that. Um, and now, you know, I, I think I've mentioned to you before, I don't. I don't really work a certain program, but again, I just take bits and pieces from the different programs and, and fellowships. And, um, now I can, I do believe that the biggest part of my life is my fitness, um, and, and going to the gym. It's like, I crave it. Like I would, like I first craved NA or CR or something yeah. like that. Um, it's, it's like my daily dose of medicine. It's, it's, um, you know, it's my me time. It's where I can really just, I like to reflect while I'm in there. So. You might not work a specific program, so to speak, but like you just mentioned, like your exercise is your program. Yeah, absolutely. Your involvement in your church mm-hmm. is your program, right? Yeah. All these other things that you're doing is your program. What inspired you to decide that it was time to come back to school? Um, and pursue a degree. Yeah, so... Not just any degree. Yeah. Um, a degree in the helping field. It's so crazy that I've made this decision all throughout my addiction. And even in early recovery, I was so anti-college. College isn't for me. Um, I'm never going to get an education. I was too. I just believe that to the fullest. And... um, I was, like, really engaged in CR this winter. And I just was sitting there with with some women and it was just like I don't know it was like a god moment it really was mm-hmm. and I just felt like god laid that on my heart um you know I have my peer support and I just wanted to take it a little bit further talk about that a little bit peer support <laughs> what's yeah. so funny uh because I got my peer support like I've had it since I think like 2012 or 13 mm-hmm. and then like I went through this crazy yeah you know raging drug addiction mm-hmm. and I so like I got it, but I wasn't really engaged. Like I was, I don't know. Um, I've had it for a really long time and I've been trying to get my foot in the door, you know, with certain businesses. Um, but it's kind of a hard field to, mm-hmm. to get yourself in the door with, yeah. um, which is kind of surprising, but I've had a hard time with it. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I just like want it. I want to further my education and. Um, you know, I'm like just so excited I got accepted into the program. And I think that that in itself too, I'm like so eager to learn this stuff that I think I'm going to do great in school. The girl at the the beginning of this conversation that said I was like, okay with just like making C's and floating through high school is now like passionate and driven to not just go back to school, but thrive and be successful. Yeah. Like I just, I want to help others. You know, I Mm -hmm. think about, um, 
my sponsor in South Florida and I think about the counselor at that last rehab and I think about the awful programs that were in the state facility that aren't really available and I want to make a change. Yeah. I want to be that change. What's your long-term goal? Well, what, what degree are you pursuing? Uh, no. so, okay. Sorry. Uh, I'm dual enrolled uh-huh. in the human services and substance abuse program. Um, and I'm not really sure like where exactly what I want to at SCC, Southwestern Community College here Dang. in Silva. Um, that program must be doing something because <laughs> you're like the third guest from that yeah, program. Yeah, I know. That's awesome. Um, I'm really, I'm really gra- glad to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, thinking far out ahead, I, th- I think I want to do something with, I don't know if I'd say prison ministry, but I definitely want to get programs inside those walls and and be a voice for those people who who don't really have one while they're in there. Yeah. Want to I want to create some sort of system or program, you know, while they're in there but also to follow that when they leave. Yeah. So, I guess my wheels will get turning once I get in school, oh, yeah. figure Lori, it out. Lori will challenge you to oh, I'm sure. to create that. Um <laughs> So what would like how far do you want to take your schooling? Like, do you plan to come transfer over here to Western? Okay, I haven't gone that far yet. All right. Like, let's just get through those first two years. Yeah, you haven't even, like, <laughs> officially stepped foot on campus yet, right? Like, that's coming up No. Soon. Yeah, coming up soon, so. So you went from um, three trips back and forth to South Florida, right? Yeah. Can I, is it appropriate to ask me, for me to ask you, like, you lost a lot of weight? Yeah, I have. So um, you... Bounce back and forth to treatment centers in South Florida. Like, struggled to find a job. Got in your own way constantly. Bullied the girls in the (sighs) treatment centers. And (laughs) here you are a year and a half, two years later. Two years years later. Two years later. um, Walking back onto campus. Pursuing, <laughs> pursuing two degrees. Oh man! Dropped yeah. a bunch of pounds yeah. working in the gym, working out in the gym consistently. Mm-hmm. Like that is just a beautiful thing, right? Like, thank you. How? <laughs> that's right. What's next? Like, what? I think what's next is just focusing on school. Like, just, just, uh, yeah. That is like my main. My main focus besides my recovery. My recovery is always my main focus. Um, but yeah, I'm just like so excited to get that started. Yeah. Being someone who experienced a lot of your troubles here in this community, what, where are the opportunities? Where are the opportunities that like us being like NC Raw family NC Raw social network and community podcast. Where are the opportunities for us to support the community and like maybe fill some of those voids to like help that Courtney and provide services to that Courtney, like without her having to go down to South Florida two and three times? Yeah. So, like, what could we do better? Uh, like us as a brand or as a, educate you know and I and I think that this podcast is doing an an amazing job at that but I know just just a couple years ago it was like wow when I reached out for help it was just kind of like you know there wasn't a lot of options it was like almost kind of like I was shamed for for being 
you know, a drug addict. Mm -hmm. But I think us as a whole, we just need to get out and communicate and educate the community more. Um, We need to get other people on board. I think that's really important. Um, Getting the courts involved, getting doctors involved, um, educating children at a young age, parents, you know, all the above. Yeah. I don't know. We, we need, we need more resources. Absolutely. Um, and I'm not really sure where we could start with that. You know, I know Meridian does an amazing job with that. Um, there's via health too, but I just feel like there, there needs to be other resources here as well. You're, you ready to wrap this thing up with some fun? Oh my gosh. Are you? You picked out pictures. I picked out some pictures. Well, we always close out our shows on a high note. I'm going to show you (laughs) three pictures. All right. I'll tell you what they are. I'll tell you. I'm going to show it to you. I'm not going to show the audience that's watching on Facebook. Okay. But what I want you to do is, I want you to, I found these on your Instagram. (laughs) My Instagram. Um, I was going to give it out to the listeners, but that's okay. So I found these pictures (laughs) on your Instagram. Um. And what I want you to do is describe the picture first, right? Like, what what is it that I'm showing you? Okay. And then tell me the story behind the picture. Tell me what was happening in your life at that time. How did you come to where you are in this picture? I'm going to show you. I'm not going to hand you my phone because I don't want you scrolling, okay? Because <laughs> the other pictures are right above it. All right. Deal? Show me what you got. Deal. All right, here's the first one. It's titled, the caption is, A Day in the Everglades. Oh, yeah, I know exactly where that is. Oh, my gosh, wow. Uh, that's a picture of me holding a baby alligator. Yeah. <laughs> he felt like leather. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was in the Everglades in South Florida. I was living at the second halfway house in which I, the one I was kicked out of. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was a day trip that me and a couple of the other girls took we had to ride on an airboat um i held a baby alligator yeah um, that was a good day did the whole uh, um the whole everglades tourist deal yeah we did and, and let me tell you that i was the only one that really got like a full kick out of it uh-huh. i mean I, I let my mountain girl side show that day it's just a gator y'all <laughs> yeah i loved it we were like out in the swamp and i was just grinning ear to ear the whole time that was a good day so a high spot in your uh yeah. You stay down in South Florida. Yeah, it's probably about uh, four months over in that picture. All right. This next picture is dated September 16th, 2017. The caption reads, Repping God and Recovery from the 561 to the 828. Hashtag God is good. Hashtag sober movement. Yeah, so um, I have decided that was a shirt that I got from my church in South Florida when so I was baptized. You're, so you're wearing a shirt in the picture. Yeah. So I've got a shirt on. So, um, <laughs> I, I hope so. It says, I, you didn't let me finish. I got a shirt on that says I have decided. Mm-hmm. Um, that day was actually the Cherokee recovery rally that they held. I'm pretty sure that was, oh, I wore up. that. Yeah. To that. Hey, event. You were there. I was there. I was there with refuge celebrate recovery. That's where I met Caleb at to, before we started all this show. I know. You've told me. I was there. OMG. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So that was the day you went to the rally. Yeah. You're um, repping your I Have Decided shirt from South Florida. From South Florida. All the way to Cherokee, North all Carolina. All the way. 
Yeah. Just well, a proud moment. Well, I was just feeling great. Yeah. What was that day like? It was great. Um, I'd never really done anything like that in the community. I think if I'm not mistaken, that was the first one that Cherokee's ever done. I'm not sure. Um, I think it might have been. I Okay. The second one? Possibly the second. I don't know. I was like so it was excited. the first one I've ever been to. Same. Yeah. I don't know. I was just like so happy that the community came together and there was like resources and just people just came together and, and we celebrated like, you know, who we are and what we are. Yeah. So. It was a really cool experience for me as well. For sure. The last picture is dated from May 15th. It's like. Of this year? Of this year. Oh, man. <laughs> just a couple weeks ago, man. You ready? I don't know. I'm not going <laughs> to read the caption on this one. Okay. Until after. After. Oh, wow. What's happening here in this I, picture? Okay. So there's like, it's like a pic, like a collage. And it's definitely me at the beginning of my fitness journey. And then me somewhere in the middle. Mm -hmm. And then present. And it's me holding up the shirt that is like three sizes too big. Yeah. It's that's a crazy transformation. It's crazy transformation. Looks like you're like a little kid wearing your dad's like <laughs> t-shirt or something like that. I like picked like, it up and I was like, "Mom, look at this! Like this is like that's a non-victory scale for me. Yeah, like that's like I don't know. That's yeah. That was a great moment. Beautiful. It says the first two pictures were taken in November, and the other in December. Versus this morning when I found this shirt and realized it was huge on me. Whoa, sometimes I lose sight in my progress, and then I see something like this. Can't stop, won't stop. Yeah. So what's up, sure. man? <laughs> Congratulations. Thank That's you. amazing. So did you enjoy yourself? I did. This was such a great opportunity to be on here, and um, this is what I love doing. Like, yeah. it just, like, gave me, like, that extra, like, this is definitely what I want to do in my future. Yeah. So, thanks Beautiful. for having me. Well, we'll have you back. You, you play a role in this, uh, in the direction of this thing, for sure. So Thank you. There's no doubt about it. Before I close the show out, uh, while we were on break, I was messaged one last event that oh, cool. I failed to share at the mm -hmm. beginning of the show for all of our Facebook listeners. Um, my man, a former guest of this show, my dude, James Skelton, AKA for this event, DJ hook is hosting an event. It's a benefit event in Asheville. Um, it's an eighties dance party. <laughs> My boy James is DJing an 80s dance party. If y'all didn't tune into that episode, let me just tell you that this dude is going to be wiling out. Like, <laughs> this is going to be a party that you do not want to miss. Um, and the cool thing is it's a $5 cover. It's a benefit event. It's a $5 cover. And all proceeds go to an organization called Our Voice. It's a crisis intervention organization for sexual abuse victims so come check this out it's this friday i think i'm gonna do everything in my power to make it cool heck yeah um from 8 30 until 11 30 p.m cool. it is at it's off biltmore by pax square in downtown Asheville. it's right off of biltmore yeah in pax square we have information on facebook 
So hit up our Facebook page. We posted it and shared it. Um, so yeah, please try to check that out. Courtney, thank What's you. Up? Thank you. I enjoyed the conversation. I did too. Um, I've told all of our guests recently that and I was kind of like disclosing a few minutes ago that my recovery has evolved and changed. And essentially this, these conversations, these intimate um, conversations have become a large part of my recovery. So Absolutely. thank you for being a part of my recovery. And thank you listeners for tuning in to NC Raw. The NC Raw family would like to thank today's musical contributors, Rival, whose work is on Facebook, SoundCloud, and YouTube by searching Rival727. And my dude Notes, whose music is on SoundCloud by searching Alvin Hooks and his Facebook page, All or Nothing Music. Give it a like. Um, He, again, performed last week on our show and we played his music during our break tonight please support this dude he's a local artist um extremely talented so all of our content all of the nc raw content is available by visiting our website at www.ncraw.life while you're there be sure to subscribe to our website By doing that, you'll receive exclusive content offers that'll be emailed right to you. Anytime we put a show up, anytime we post a blog, um, any activity on our site will be emailed right to you just to let you know what we're doing. And you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and now Instagram at WNC Raw. So give us a follow, engage with us. Uh, We got a strong strong group on Facebook and a little private group where we can continue these conversations. So reach out to us. Let's, let's continue this conversation. Thank you for listening. Good night. Good night. <laughs>